Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I do want to dismiss the youth out back with Albert right now. We're at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to pick up in verse 23, when here Paul now is talking to us about being a church that's united. I think that if there's anything that we see around our world today is division. <laughs> if you turn on the TV, if you look at social media, if you turn on the news and, and you're looking at the news around in our world today, there is a lot of division taking place. I believe we're, we're, we're not more divided than we've ever been now, some would say. But the church is called here to unity. It's called to unity. And one of the three things that every church needs in order to be a, a healthy church in, in respects to what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's to have care, compassion, and concern for one another. If you love taking notes, I encourage you to write those three down. The care, the compassion, and the concern for one another. Because we are described in chapter 12 as a body, the body of Christ. And the entire body of Christ has different members or different parts in the body or even in the physical body. And when we study God's word, we know that everybody is somebody in the body of Christ. When you ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart as your Lord and Savior, guess what happened? You became part of the family of God and the body of Christ. That means that you belong to a family greater than the family that you know of distinctively. That means that you belong to a greater unit, a greater family, a greater body. That your identity now is not in what the world tells you. It's not on the social status or, or, or reputation that you might have, but your identity is now in the family of Christ and in the body of Christ. Amen. And we see that now here as we're described that, yes, our identity is in the body of Christ. And if our identity is in the body of Christ, guess what our DNA is in that body? The DNA in that body is love. <laughs> You cannot have the body of Christ without its DNA, which is love. That is the DNA that runs through the veins of the body of Christ. It is love. And you know what he talks about in the last few chapters or in the last verses that we have read the last week? Is that when we are in the body of Christ, everyone has their specific role. And as everyone is using that specific role... They're providing growth to the body and it's being done in love. As everyone is exercising their spiritual gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16, it tells us the whole body is joined and knit together. Talking about us, the church and the body of Christ, right? Every joint supplies according to the effective working in which every part, it says, does its share, causing growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. How is there growth in the body? How does the body edify itself? When every part does its share, but the every part doing its share, and, and it says in the last two words of this verse, in love. You see, we are to do our share exercising now our role, every joint supplying in its effective working when everyone is causing growth to the body, but when it's done in love. 
Why? Because it is love that edifies the body of Christ. You want to see the church grow. You want to see your life grow, your family grow. Maybe your spiritual walk grow. Maybe you want God to use your life and say, Lord, I want, I, I want you to use my life. I want it to be more than just work and a career. I want it to be more than just family. I want it to be more than just, just socializing with people. I, I want to grow now. And I want to grow and I want to be used by you, God. I want there to be purpose in my life. And the way that happens is that you are plugged into the body of Christ, plugged in, but you're using your gifts in love. Why is love so important in today's message? Because we are never more effective. I'll tell you this. You are never more effective in whatever you do for God than when you are loving people. You want to be effective for God in whichever capacity that God has called you to live for Him or to serve Him in. You are never more effective than when you are loving people. It is your responsibility to love people. Especially if you call yourself a Christian. People should know you by your loving nature. You can't say, you know what, well, I love God, I just don't love His people. <laughs> that doesn't work that way. When you love God, you automatically love His people. It is your responsibility to, to love. In fact, you should have a reputation and a character that those around you know that is a loving man or, or woman of God. What does Romans chapter 13, 8 tell us? It tells us, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. What does that mean? The entire commandments of God and His word are summarized in one thing. To love God and to love people. That is the entire commandments of God that we would be known by our love. It is so important that we love because we are never as effective as when we love because then we are united. It is not until we love that we become united. And if the church is not united, how effective can it really be? How is the world going to feel an impact of a divided church? How is the world going to feel the impact of a loveless church of people that don't love? I think sometimes maybe at work or wherever we would go, people don't feel the impact of Christ because they don't feel the love of Christ. And that is not until you start to feel the love of Jesus that you feel the impact of Jesus taking place in your life. You want to make an impact in someone's life? Love them the way Jesus loves you. Use your gifts in love to be able to serve them. You think about how the world would feel the impact of a group of people that are so absolutely united. That witness would be irresistible. You, would be, you could do nothing to stop that witness because it would have a penetrating effect now in the lives of other people because it starts with love. Why? Because love profits all. And in, in today's message and in the message of next week, we're going to see how love is so important. It profits all. There's so many times we want to serve the Lord and we're doing all these things and we're, we're serving at high capacities. But if we're doing all of those things, we have really impressive, very visible gifts, very gifts that are so presentable to the body of Christ, but we don't love people. How effective are our gifts being used? See, they're not as effective and we're not loving people. It's just the sound, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. It's just like a clanging cymbal. It's just a noise. It's just the church making a lot of noise with absolutely no effect. I want you to walk out today not making a lot of noise, but having an actual effect 
that starts with Jesus. We don't want to just make a lot of noise. We want to love because love is substantial and love profits all. Love is what profits all. Now in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 12, as we start today, he's going to tell us how we ought to have the care, how we ought to have the concern, and we, ought, we as a church have to have compassion. We as a church have to have care, concern, and compassion for other people. If we don't have concern, care, or compassion for people, then how are we like Jesus? Jesus looked at the people in Jerusalem. He had a care, compassion, and concern. And he started to cry because they, did, they were lost and they didn't know Him as Lord and Savior. We look at, at our world around us and we see the, the, the injustice or the devastation that is taking place possibly. Is there any care, concern, or is there compassion for people? Compassion for people. You see, this is what he's going to talk to us now, specifically in the body of Christ, specifically in the church. Because your gift goes a long way in meeting the needs of the body of Christ. Your gift, what you do, goes a long way. But it starts with love. That's what it goes, starts with. Verse 23. What does it tell us? It says, In those members of the body, speaking of, you know, those in the body of Christ... Which we think, it doesn't say which we know, which we think to be less honorable, here, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, have greater modesty. Now why, why is he saying this? Because he's saying that everybody matters in the body of Christ. Not just some people matter. Not just those that you can see at church using their gifts. Not just those that, that, that believe that they fit in. No, everybody fits in in the body of Christ. And we're called to be united. We're called to love people. We're called to, to, to come and display our gifts. And, and yes, we are the body collectively. But God has formed us all individually. And we have to learn to love and care for those people that are different than you are. Do you love and care for people that are different than you are? Maybe here he was seeing that in the church of Corinth, they were just loving those with the presentable or with the most honorable or most dignified gifts. And they start to love them and give them the special treatment and say, Oh, we love you so much. And, and giving them a, a, you know, just a, a, a VIP type of love, right, in the church. But to other people, they, they just didn't really care or concern. You see, it's important that we know that no one is more important and more valuable than the other person. That no one should be overlooked in the body of Christ. And that we should love those and care for those that are different. That no one should be despised or we shouldn't envy anyone else. But we should love one another. You know what happens here in the church sometimes? And here what was taking place in Corinth. That there was a depreciation of love. And what this should teach us today is to appreciate one another. There was a self-depreciation with where people didn't think of themselves highly because they didn't have the gift of other person. Or with other people, they said, well, you know, their gift is not as important as mine. So they depreciated the brother that was next to them. But no, we have to show care. We have to show concern for one another. Because when, because when we as Christians become, start to become cold towards one another, then we also become careless and unconcerned about each other's needs. And here he's saying in verse 23, those that maybe you think have less honor, you should still give honor to. Those that which you think are unpresentable parts, give greater modesty to them. Those that are serving behind the scenes, those that have those gifts that you actually need, but you maybe don't see them, show them that you love them and that you care. The less honorable and the unpresentable. 
Those that don't receive the honor all the time, those that don't receive that type of presentation or that type of platform all the time, you ought to love them. And it tells us this in verse 23, and those members of the body which we think less honorable to these bestow greater honor and on our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Every, everyone matters. Everyone has value. Everybody has worth in the family and in the body of Christ. But our presentable parts, those that maybe God has given them that presentable gift, right? Have no need of this special care or attention. But God has composed the body having given them greater honor to that part which lacks it. You see, what is he saying? Everybody, God has given them a different place in the body of Christ. Some people are the eyes. Some people are the hands. Some people are the feet. Some people are the arms, right? But everyone is needed. Everyone is needed. No one should be overlooked or be despised because of what part they play in the body of Christ. Right? And we ought to protect those body parts or those members of the family of Christ, which maybe they see or they think that, man, well, they don't really matter. They absolutely do matter. And they absolutely require that special care and attention. And in verse 24, it tells us God had put the body together this way for one reason. That one should care about the other. That one should care about the other. Do you know how, you know, if you're in the body of Christ, when you're concerned about the people that you do church with? When you're concerned with other believers, their life and their specific needs, when you're attentive, when you're thinking about them, when you want to pray for them, when you want to spend time with them, that is being part of the body of Christ. We said it before, ministry is not using your gifts only. Ministry is becoming part of people's lives. Are you a part of someone's life today? When you start to care and have compassion and you want to spend special time and attention with them, it's kind of like the, the body, a uh, physical body that we have. You know, there's some parts that you naturally can physically see, but they're absolutely needed for your body to function. For example, you can't see your heart, but you absolutely need it. It's essential to life. You can't see your brain, but you absolutely need it. Because it's essential to life and movement and your intelligence and the way that your body works. You see, just because you can't see, just because they're less honorable, less thought about, doesn't mean you should give them greater attention and love. You see, these are the things that he's teaching us here that no one should be overlooked, but we should all serve one another. Now verse 25, God has done this. God has composed this. God has put this together. So that there should be no schism in the body and that the members should have the same care for one another. Why has God done this? So that there should be no division in the church and everyone should have the same care for one another. You know what the same care means? That everyone should have equal love and equal now value to one another. That we should, when it comes to serving people, it should have the same. There should not be a double standard. There should not be a preference. There should not be an elevation of people because of their gifts or because of their abilities over other people. God has done this to unite the body of Christ and that there should be no divisions, but it should be here, this is the key word, same care for one another. Is there a same care feeling, a same care culture here that we would have for one another? The New Living Translation says this, the, the, this makes the for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. 
All the people in the church, in the family of God, God has designed it, the body, for the purpose. Here it talks, it talks about in verse 25, for the same care of one another. You know when you care for one another? When you suffer with one another. You know when you care for one another? When you rejoice with one another. I think in the church sometimes, and, and even as people in our nature, right? That we love to, to be able to maybe come alongside someone and comfort them and maybe suffer with them when they're suffering and mourn with them when they're mourning. But what happens when they're celebrating? Are we celebrating with them as well? <laughs> Somebody calls you and something really good happened in their life. Are you rejoicing with them as well? Because you have the same care and compassion and you have their best interest in mind? Well, let's read verse 26. It says, And if one member suffers in the body... All the members suffer with it. For if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. What does that, that tell us? That maybe if one person is suffering, then everyone is suffering. And if one person is rejoicing, then all of us are rejoicing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Paul, the same guy, tells us this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. What does that mean? To be able to have the same heart with people. Not to be able to see someone suffering. Imagine, and, and for us it doesn't cause us any hurt. For us it doesn't cause us any pain. Or see them rejoicing. No, being part of the same body, it means that you rejoice together. Being part of the same body means that you suffer together. Why? Because of the parts of the body work together. And sometimes there's a part of the body that you don't think about until it's hurt. And then you give special attention and care to. Because it's a part of the body and you need it. You think about it, if, you, if you're walking down uh, you know, a hall or something or your bedroom and, you, and you, you, maybe you hit your foot and your toe or whatever, you start to scream and you stop whatever you're doing because your foot is hurt. Now you might have not thought about your foot all day until it starts to become hurt. Until it becomes painful. You think about when your back aches and it hurts and you're trying to go to sleep, but your entire body, the rest of your body stays awake concerned about your back that's in pain. <laughs> you see, this is exactly what he's talking to us about. That the body works as one unit together. And, and not one of the parts just serve itself. The parts are, are, are now exercising. The ears don't serve themselves. The eyes don't serve themselves. The mouth doesn't serve itself. It serves the entire body. And that's exactly what he's talking to us about. I love how Charles Spurgeon put it when he was teaching to his church this passage. He said this, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We don't want any drones, if there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing... There are plenty of places elsewhere where you can do it. There are many empty pews about in abundance and go now and fill them. Every Christian who is not a bee is a wasp, he said. The most quarrelsome people are the most useless. And they are the happiest and those who are happiest are peaceable are generally those who are doing most for Christ. Or isn't those some deep words? How all of us should come together and corporately say, what is my part in the body of Christ? I want to ask you, what is your part in the body of Christ today? Because God has given you some distinct special gifts that you have that the body of Christ benefits from. And as the body of Christ is united, guess what happens? When one body is growing, the entire body grows. When one body suffers, the entire body pauses to suffer and to care and show compassion for that body member. 
That's why it's so important to have fellowship. That's why it's so important to come to church because you are not to, to, to go through your life, through your Christian life and try to grow and pretend you're growing, but you have no fellowship, no accountability. How are you supposed to grow stronger if you're not plugged into the body of Christ? Now in verse here 27, now he's going to tell us about the different gifts described here in the body of Christ, the gifts that maybe are represented even in this room today. Right, it says you are individually members of the body of Christ. That means that you all have a different personality, a different character, different heartbeat, right? Maybe a different gift as well. But every gift, every maybe personality, all come combined together form the family of God and the body of Christ. And it says in verse 27 that you are the body of Christ and members individually. Individually means that you're not the same. And that's okay. You know, there's a problem when we want everybody in this church to be just like us. <laughs> I don't like that person. They don't have the same personality as I do. Well, they're not supposed to. <laughs> they don't have the same gift as I do. They're not supposed to have the same gift as you. If everybody had your gift, then guess what? We would not be able to operate as a body. If everybody was just an arm, guess what? We wouldn't be able to walk anywhere, right? But we need the different types of gifts in the body of Christ. And this is the way, verse 28 tells us, that God has appointed them. Not man has appointed them. It wasn't a denomination, a church name, a pastor, a leader that appoints the gifts. I want you to know that. It's God appoints the gifts. And in verse 28, look what it says. And God has appointed these in the church. Now, I want you to underline that if you'd like taking notes, because it's so important that we are all called to contribute to the church, to be, become the church. But verse 28 tells us that God has appointed the word appointed means God has set in place, God has set in motion, God has ordained, God has enlisted these gifts, in particularly to all of His people. And He's, he's given you a gift that maybe He hasn't given somebody else, but He's given you a gift, maybe that person some a gift that He hasn't given the rest. And it says here in verse 28, Now first, apostles. Now what does apostle mean? We know that apostle is a special ambassador, right? One who is sent out. The apostles or the disciples in the Bible that God sent them out as apostles into the world in the book of Acts were sent out with the message or the good news or the gospel. They were special ambassadors of the church with a unique ministry to go out outside of the four walls. But guess what? They were outside of the four walls, but they were still plugged into the body of Christ. A lot of people say, well, you know what, my ministry is outside of the four walls of the church. Well, it, it may be outside of the four walls of the church, but you're still called to be plugged in to the body of Christ. Right? And these apostles are those missionaries that God has sent out. Maybe those uniquely in the book of Acts that God literally used to, to now use as pioneers for the gospel message in the first century church. But then it tells us after apostles, second prophets. Now, he's given the word apostle. That's such a heavy term. But then he gives the word prophets. What's, pro what's a prophet's work or ministry? Well, see, a prophet is one that speaks on behalf of God to the family of God or to the body of God now or to the church now. In, in, in respect to the world, to the current times or the future of the time with special power and ability that God has given them. We see the prophets of the Bible like Jeremiah, like Daniel, like Ezekiel, speaking about the future, right? 
But you also see the prophetic truth where you look at the current world today and you can talk truth or speak truth in light of God's word and having a biblical worldview in light of current events. That's also a prophetic gift, right? That God now has given someone the ability to present now the truth in light of God's word and in light of what's taking place in the world. That is so much prophetic. That is the truth. That is a messenger of God speaking on behalf of God a message from God. That is prophetic. First apostles, then prophets. But then he goes on to teachers. It's important to know that the prophetic gift can, and sometimes it's used under the confounds of teaching. But it says here now, in verse 28, as we go on, it says, Third, teachers. What are teachers? You see, maybe you feel like, you know what, God hasn't called me to teach a Bible study. But what if He's called you maybe to teach children? Maybe teach at home, raise up children. Maybe be a mother or a father, and He's giving you that ability to teach or maybe you just love teaching people how to do things and, and how, to, how to organize themselves and how to start from A through Z. And he's giving you that ability to explain. Right here, he's talking about God is giving you the ability to teach God's word and explain the revelation of God's word for the learning of others. It's amazing when people have the ability to teach something. And maybe they use it out in a world work that God has given them, maybe to teach outside of the church. But with that same gift, they understand, well, God has given me the ability to teach. So what better thing that I can teach than I can teach God's word to other people naturally on a one-on-one basis, maybe in a small group setting, maybe in a children's classroom, maybe on a Bible study setting. But God has given me the ability to teach, to explain now God's word now for the learning of other people. That is the gift of teaching. And maybe you say, well, you know what? I, I, I'm, God's given me a passion to teach other people. And, and I see them learning so much when I teach them something. Well, maybe God wants you to use the teaching gift so that you can explain now the word of God to others and the truth about the Bible. But look at the gift that we see here next in verse 28. And it says here, third teachers, after that, miracles. Now, this is a gift that a lot of us are just wowed by and amazed by the gift of miracles, right? Sometimes we see it in TV or evangelists that are known nationwide and globally that they want to now exhibit a gift of miracles. But the gift of miracles is not to be able to promote yourself. The gift of miracles is not so that you can gain and win attention. It's not so that someone thinks you have a superpower, right? It's not that someone thinks that you have a, a now a, an initiative that other people may not have when it comes to miracles. No, the gift of miracles is to meet the needs of people. It should never come, the gift of miracles, attention on the person that is now God is using for that miracle. But maybe it's all for the glory of God, as the Bible tells us, and to humbly meet the needs of people. Every gift right here, it's not for you. It's so you can meet the needs of people. Whether it's prophecy, whether it's apostles, whether it's teaching, whether it's miracles, it's not for yourself. It's so that you can meet the needs of other people. You see, and this must be done, especially the gift of miracles, under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the initiative of the Holy Spirit. It should never be yourself that you think you're going to go out and, create and make all these miracles. No, it's, it, it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit when you're sensitive. And you start to know, you know what? This is what's taking place, this miracle, this act of God, that's a miracle. The definition of a miracle, it's an act of God, is all for the glory of God. God doesn't do acts of God for the glory of man. A miracle is an act of God. 
And maybe today you want to see a miracle in your life. Maybe you want to see a miracle in the life of a family member. And say, Lord, I want you to do only what you can do. That's a miracle. You can look around the room. We talked about it a few weeks ago. We're all miracles. God has changed our lives. Think about that. And then it goes on to the next gift, the gift of healings. What is the gift of healings? Very supernatural, like miracles, right? Where we come and, and we see the Lord heals someone, right? The Lord do a miracle and the Lord heals someone for what? The needs of the people, giving glory to God. But here comes a gift now that after all these very presentable and honorable and dignified gifts, a gift that I believe that all of us here can possess. And that's the gift of helps. You notice how that gift doesn't have an impressive name, but it's such a valuable gift. It's such a small name. It's helps. <laughs> that's it. It's not prophecy. It's not, you know, it's not teaching. It's not now, uh, you know, miracles. It's not healing. It's not apostles. It helps. You always see people bragging about apostles, about prophecy. But when have you valued someone with the gift of helps? That gift is such a valuable gift. In fact, the gift of health is in the mind or it, as someone that has it has the mind of those that can help or assist in others doing the work of the Lord. And some, what's amazing about the gift of helps is that people with the gift of helps or maybe you, you would ask, so I don't know what gift I have. Maybe it's the gift of helps. Where, where, where you are just satisfied with assisting people. You don't need an official title. You don't need a, an official position. All you want really is to be useful and to be available and to stand in the gap. I've noticed that the people that have the gift of helps are so valuable in the church that the church would not be ever able to operate without those that have the gift of helps. Without the people that say, I don't need a title. I don't need a position. I don't need something, an official attention or anything like that. I just want to be useful. I want to be now available and I want to stand in the gap. That is the gift of helps. I might not have all these, you know, this apostle or prophecy or all of that that we mentioned. But if I have the gift of helps, guess what happened? The church can function together now as we're reading here. And, and it's interesting here, but those people that have the gift of helps, they're only glad and fully satisfied when they can make themselves serviceful to other people at any capacity, the gift of helps. And it's so amazing now. Because the gift of helps is those that go a long way that maybe are, are overseen, but those that we need to make sure that the entire body of Christ is moving the right direction. I, I love what an a old preacher once said. He was giving a sermon about Bartholomew, a disciple. And when Jesus named all these disciples, right, and, and Bartholomew, when have you ever heard about Bartholomew in a big, massive story about Bartholomew in the Bible? It's interesting to know that this preacher said, you know what, in Matthew 10.3 we hear about and Bartholomew. Did you see, do you notice that Bartholomew in God's word was never mentioned by himself? <laughs> he was always mentioned, every time you see Bartholomew, it always says and Bartholomew. <laughs> but Bartholomew had a, one of the most impressive gifts. Because he was always helping someone else doing the work of God. He was always with someone else. He maybe was never the leader. But he was always the helper that made the leadership possible. You see, leadership needs help. And that's why God has given us, maybe some of us here, the gift of helps. I can make myself available 
I can make myself usable and I can stand in the gap. That is the gift of helps, right? Well, let's look at the other gift. It says here now, the gift of administrations. What's the gift of administration? Maybe God's giving you the gift to organize or to delegate or to, to know what it means to have responsibility to lead and execute a project. That's the gift of administration. And God has given you that specific gift of administration so that you can use it in the body of Christ. And along with helps, along with prophecy, along with teaching, along with apostleship, along with all these gifts that are taking place, guess what? The church can take place and grow. And then it says after that, administration. Now, varieties of tongues. Now, tongues is a, it's a gift that a lot of people, if you don't know about tongues, you'll freak out, Right? You'll see maybe on you know, videos of people speaking in tongues or, or, or praising God. But understand this. Tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's called to be used in order, as we're going to see in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. It's called now the gift of tongues as a tongue that God has given you an unknown language to praise God with, right? But always in the setting of interpretation. You can't have tongues without interpretation, Right? And, and tongues is never a message for people. Tongues is almost like a worship song in an unknown language. It's almost as they have, a, you know, they spoke in tongues and they have a message for the church. That's, I don't know who, you, I, mean, I don't know what you just said, brother, but that's not from God. <laughs> because that's prophecy. Tongues, when you speak in an unknown language, that's worship unto God. That's just praise unto God. And there should be someone present in the church to give an orderly interpretation of what took place because if it wasn't orderly interpreted now does that edify anyone no you just leave confused i don't know what happened at church today <laughs> somebody spoke in an un unknown language that's why the gifts ought to be operated i'll tell you this in order because if they're not operated in order we're going to see in chapter 14 it does no one any good it does any no one any good and that's exactly what he's telling us now but the reason why he says this is so that we can discover our gift and use it. Not that we can go to church because of the vicinity of how close it is to our house. Not so that we can go to church because of a well-known, maybe a pastor or a production or, or of a location. But that we can go to church because we want to become part of the body of Christ. Where we can grow and we can serve. Think about every part of the body. The human body, the anatomy. Right? What is the... God wants us to do. He wants us to have a, a tender heart that really cares as the body of Christ. He wants us to have the eyes in the body of Christ that we can quickly see the need in the world. He wants us to have even a quick foot to get to those that are needy in the body of Christ, in the family of Christ. Maybe He wants to give us that loving face and countenance to cheer up and to bless those people that are coming maybe discouraged. That we would also encourage them, maybe a firm foot that, that others don't fall, that we strengthen other people, and a hand that would grip the needy with. A bent back, maybe in the family, and the body of Christ, that we can bend down and reach out for people. This is what the body of Christ ought to look like. The hands, the feet, the eyes, the heart of Jesus. Do you have the hands, the feet, and the eyes of Jesus today? Or you say, you know, wherever I go, I am going to be the body of Christ. When I come collectively with the church gathering, we're the body of Christ together. We meet one another's needs. But when I go out into the world, wherever I may be, I'm still going to be the body of Christ. Because I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me to bless now and to show other people Christ. Now in verse 29, he's going to tell us now, 
is everyone, does everyone have these gifts? And he's going to give us an answer here. Does everyone have the same gifts? Absolutely not. And that's what we ought to appreciate one another. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Now he's given us just these rhetorical questions now that he wants us to pay attention to. Because he wants you to know you don't all have to be an apostle. You don't all have to be a prophet. You don't all have to be a teacher. He says, are all workers of miracles? Absolutely not. Verse 30, do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now, a lot of times in churches, they, you know, sometimes people will feel like, you know what, I don't have, I'm not baptized by the gift of the Holy Spirit because I don't speak in tongues, because I don't prophesy, because I don't do any kind of miracles. But not everyone's called to do that. And that's okay. Not everyone's called to do these gifts. And that's what we ought to appreciate one another. Everyone's gift is very unique. We don't all have the same gifts. And that's how God designed the body. There's a reason for that. That everyone is different. There's a reason why everyone doesn't have the, 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 those gifts, the same gifts. In fact, in verse 31, he's going to say here, but, desire earnest, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, you know what he's really saying in that line? Corinthians. You're trying to desire the most visible gifts. <laughs> Church, you guys are trying to desire the most now presentable gifts, the most honorable gifts. Corinth, you're desiring something that's so, you think in your mind is so impressive and so visible. Why are you desiring that? I mean, it's good to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we ought to desire them for the, to meet the needs of people. But in God's will always, of course, right? In the plan and submission of God's plan for our lives. Lord, I desire these gifts. If they're for me, Lord, if you're going to use me in those gifts, then bless me with them so I can bless other people, right? But here he's telling the church of Corinth, don't desire the most impressive and the most visible gifts. And then he tells them this line here. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. This is amazing here because he changes the tone now. And he starts off with love and he's going to end with love. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are right there in the middle of love first, the gifts of the Spirit, and then love after. It's so important that we realize this. That without love here, as he's going to tell us, your gifts really will not make an impact. I will show you a more excellent way. The word excellent comes from the Greek word huper, which is translated in surpassing in a way that, is, that it consists of the knowledge of God that is better, that, it, that is, it is growing, that is above and beyond anything that you can ever desire, desire this. Well, you might desire a gift. If you want to desire something better than that, he's saying desire a more excellent way. Why? He's going to explain the more excellent way in chapter 13 next week. But what is the excellent way? The excellent way here is a focus on love and not a focus on the gifts. When we become so focused on the gift themselves and not on love, they actually have no benefit. That's why it's important that we don't use spiritual gifts in a carnal way. How do you use a spiritual gift in a carnal way? Without love. <laughs> a commentator, a Bible commentator once said the gifts are merely ways where we can express and receive love from God and love to one another. That's why God has given you a gift. God has given you a special spiritual gift only so that you can receive love from God and that you can love one another. They are, in quote now, containers. And what is in the container, love, is far more important. 
You see that picture? It's so beautiful. Your gift is as a container, and what's in that container, love, is far more important. You see, sometimes we try to flex our gift, exhibit our gift. But our gift doesn't come with love. What good is it? It is not good to have the gifts, but not have love. Love keeps the body of Christ healthy. A lot of times we want to be able to be so rigid, so legalistic, and, and full of rules, trying to use our gifts, trying to be able to use our gifts systematically and align our gifts a specific way, but we forget about the love. Uh, you know, growing up in church, I saw so many very talented people as I grew up in the, even in the worship ministry, right? That, that just were so talented that, that the God had given them this special spiritual gift to lead others in worship. However, when they were off the stage, they didn't want to say hi to anyone. <laughs> you think they ministered to anyone while they were leading worship after that? They didn't. Because the gift was about them. Because the gift was all about self. It was about, let me show you what I can do. See, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not a talent show. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the containers and where you feel the love of God and that you send the love of God also to other people. You see, and love is what keeps the gifts in balance. What does love do? It keeps the gifts in balance so that that way we're not just a bunch of noise. If you don't have love, you're just a bunch of noise. And people's lives are not changed with noise. People's lives are changed with love. You think God changes people's lives and ministers with people with noise? God ministers to people through love. And maybe you're going, you're, you're, you, you interact with people every day at church or every week at church, every day at work, and you don't know what those people are going through. And you might never know. But if you love them, guess what? You're going to minister to their needs. God is going to use you if you love them. Because love is what makes now ministry take place. It's not about you. It's about the love of Christ. To end, why don't we go to 1 Peter chapter 4? Because this is going to take us into the next chapter 13 next week. As we go into now what he talks about in 1 Peter 4 about love. The gifts are so important, but it's more important to use them in love. Because we don't want to misuse them, make bad use of the gifts of the Spirit of God. We don't want to be able to now use the gifts for ourselves because we love self more than we love people, right? So many times you see people that, well, I'm using this amazing gift and, you know, they're in love with themselves <laughs> because of that gift. They don't love people, they love themselves because they're so impressed with themselves. <laughs> you know, there's not, the Lord, just the way the Lord gave you that spiritual gift, He can take that gift away. What's more important is love because if you don't have love, it, it ministers to no one. If you don't have love, it ministers to no one. It says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, But above all these things, but above everything, have fervent love for one another, because love will cover a multitude of sins. What does love promote? Number one, love promotes forgiveness. Love promotes three things in these th verses coming up here. Number one, it promotes forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins. It allows you to forgive someone. Above all these things, have fervent love for one another because love will now here cover a multitude of sin. Number two, be hospitable to one another. Love also, what does it do? Love promotes hospitality. When you say you love someone, you say you have the love of God, 
in your life, guess what? You're going to have an open heart and an open hand for people. You're going to be hospitable, right? Be hospitable to another without grumbling. Have you ever been hospitable to someone, but then you complain? Uh, we invited him to our house, and I can't believe they stayed that long. <laughs> Every time they come. Oh, you know what? I want to show someone love, but the thing is that they're so hard to love. You praise God for the people that are so hard to love in your life. God put them there <laughs> to teach you to love. I, I found that the people that God uses most in my life, that God uses most in my life are not the ones that I think. God uses the people most in my life are the ones that are hard to love <laughs> because they're really changing my character. Without grumbling, and it says here, look what it goes on. As each one has received a gift, as you receive the gift, minister here to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do with the ability which God supplies in all things, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. That God would receive the glory. Use your gifts so God would receive the glory. What does now love do? It does three things. And notice how from verse 8 to verse 11, it uses the word one another three times. Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. Minister to one another. That's what the members of the body of Christ ought to do. To think of one another. I pray that you write that down, those two words in your Bible. That whenever you get to ready to read, to pray, to serve someone. It's about one another. One another. Because love does three things. Love promotes forgiveness. Love promotes hospitality. And then love promotes unity. Love promotes forgiveness. Love promotes hospitality. And love promotes unity. How do we operate these gifts? By the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh. We're held accountable with your gift. You're held accountable with your gift. Are you using it? And it's not even if you use it, but it's also if you use it the right way, in love. You can be doing a lot of work in the Lord, but it, maybe it's just noise because there's no love. Love is what makes your gift substantial. It's what ministers to people, right? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because you've given us these spiritual gifts, Lord. We pray right now, Lord, by the, through the power of your Spirit, God. That we would, Lord, demonstrate love to one another. That the body of Christ would mean one another. And I pray, Lord, that, that we wouldn't just come to church and leave. That's not what it means to be a part of a body. That we want to just come to church, Lord, and, and watch and sit, Lord. That maybe, God, Lord, you've given us a special ability, Lord, a minister. Maybe helps. Just to be usable, available, and to stand in the gap. What a beautiful gift. But I pray whatever gift it is, whatever capacity it is, that our reputation would be loved, that that would be the DNA in the body of God.
Because it is love that changes people's lives. It's the love of Christ. It's not noise. We thank you for all the gifts that are represented here, Lord.